Amen. You know, uh, each one of us is writing a story with our lives. We're writing an, an autobiography. One line at a time, one paragraph at a time, one chapter, until someone writes our epitaph. The book of your life, it begins with your birth, early childhood, it moves on to the teen years, and then on to early adulthood, and so on. And it tells of your character, it tells of your interests, our accomplishments, decisions that we make, failures. It tells of our associations, who we were friends with, who we married, how many children we had, and what we did to earn our living. The book that we're writing, each one of us with our lives, it tells what things were most important to us by the way that we spent our time and the way that we spent our money and what we gave our talents to, what we gave our energy and our life to. It tells how we treated others. It tells when and if we come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is all found in the book of our lives whether or not the ministry of the local church was a a priority or was important to us, I tell you that we are writing the story of our lives. Every one of us is writing a book. But did you know that God keeps His books? God keeps His records. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written. Even when the Lord was forming us, And forming our hearts in the womb, he says that we were written down in the book of the living, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 33 verse 13 says, The Lord looketh from heaven. Imagine it. Think of it. The Lord looking down from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men from the place of his habitation. He looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. God is writing a book. And he's put you in it. And he's keeping track of what we do with our time here. He's keeping track even of our thoughts. He's keeping track of our words. And I heard a preacher from Kentucky preach such a good message. I tell you, I was really blessed this past week to hear old-fashioned Kentucky preacher. He said this, God keeps track of the very hairs of your head. And he knows exactly how many hairs fell out of your head into the sink this morning and was washed down the drain. (laughs) He knows how many hairs are on your head. God's keeping a book. He's keeping track of your life. But wait a minute. Think back, and how does your story read so far? What does your story look like? And how would you like your future to read? As you think about you're writing your own story, it's a story that we can all read. It's a story for others to tell in this area. But one day, a friend, one day, even those who tell the stories of someone who was who's passed on and someone who lived in in in, in the old days, in the old times, and in, in Racine or in Lee Tart. Even the people that are telling your story, one day they will pass on and you'll be forgotten. Your your family might keep the memories alive, but listen, I know very little about my great-grandpa. Very little. I know some things about my grandpa 
on my dad's side, and I know some things about my grandpa on my mom's side, and I won't bore you with the details, but to me they're, they're interesting and of importance. But really, there's going to come a time when your memory is, of your existence is gone. It's gone. Very few of us are going to reach some level of uh, our deeds being remembered like Winston Churchill when he started giving away the Jews' land in uh, 1921. Very few of us are ever going to do anything that's going to be remembered uh, like the, uh, the astronaut uh, John uh, Glenn from uh, New Concord. Uh, very few of us will be remembered and put into the history books. You see, your life, but you're telling a story right now. You're writing a story for the people that matter in your life, your family, your friends, your coworkers. But listen, your, fa- your story in heaven will not be forgotten. One day we'll be brought up before the judgment seat of Christ for those of, of us that are saved, and we will give an account for our works of what we've done in this body for Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you won't be at the judgment seat of Christ. You'll be at the other judgment that you don't want to be at. You'll be at the great white throne judgment. And at that judgment, if you make it there, or when you make it there, listen, you're not going to get past it. You're going to be found guilty. You're going to be weighed in the balances and found wanting. But you will be condemned and judged based on the degree of your sinfulness. So all of your life will be reviewed. There's a record. I tell you, God is keeping a book and recording our lives. I'm so thankful that when I get saved, and when I trusted Jesus Christ, and I get forgiveness of sins, that all of my sins are forgiven, and it's all gone, man. It's all under the blood. It's underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. It's far removed as darkness is from dawn. You know, in the sea of God's forgetfulness, it's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. And when I sin, I can confess to Jesus Christ and, and I have the promise of cleansing, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. So that stuff won't come up. But my sins won't be judged anyhow, you see, because of Calvary. But listen, God is keeping track of our works as saved believers. He's keeping track of our works. And one day, friend, you will give an account. Paul says, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Are you ready for that? I'll say it one more time. What does your uh, backstory look like? The back pages of your life. Uh, one of my favorite songs that Bob Dylan, I believe, was a co-writer on, was the back pages of my life. And sang it with the uh, traveling Wilburys. My back pages. What does the backstory of your life look like? And what would you like the future of your life to look like. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Paul wrote a little biography here of some men, and he kind of gives an autobiography of himself and his writings. But this is the story that Paul wrote about these men here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, But I, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus. Paul had been talking about the things that he had sacrificed in verse 17. He talks about himself, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Paul said, whatever I had to go through in order to bring the gospel to you, it was all worth it. That sacrifice of my service, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me, because you got saved. Now you have the joy of the Lord. 
But then he says, but I trust to send Timotheus to you, to the church in Philippi. And Timotheus was like an assistant to Paul. He, he ran and ran errands and sent uh, word. He did things that Paul wanted him to do and, and, and maybe delivered uh, the inspired uh, letters that Paul was writing. But he says, I'm going to send t- Timothy to you and, and that I also may be of good comfort. He says, when I know your state, for I have no man like-minded. Look what it says about Timothy. No man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. What a commendation from the Apostle Paul. Paul said, look, I know this about Timothy. There aren't very many guys like him. He said, I don't have any man here. He was on house arrest in Rome. He says, I don't have any man here who's like-minded, who thinks like I do, who has you know, the same things that's important to me, that's important to Timothy. He says, I know I can send Timothy because Timothy is a man who will naturally care for your state. Paul said, Timothy cares about the same things that I care about. What does Paul care about? He cared about what he gave his life to build. And that was spreading the gospel and seeing churches started. It it means people. He said, Timothy cares about people. And I know I can send him and he's going to do the job. Timothy, he'll be like, "If, if I can't be there... He's the one I want to send. You see, this is what Paul is saying about Timothy. This is Paul's uh, biography about Timothy. He says in verse 21, this, this verse, I tell you, it just, it just it pricked my conscience. It, man, it got to me. For all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ's. See, Paul was looking around at the other young men, and they were all caught up in the things of the world, the things that Roman, the Roman, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, their, their, their society, the worldly system had everybody else just caught up in the web, you know, and they're stuck in that web and just cared about the things of the world, and he says, for all, now he's not talking about everybody in the world, he's just making a point, all seek their own. You see, while other young men were just thinking about what most people are thinking about, self-propagation, self-preservation, self-pleasure, self-wealth, Earnings, I don't know another word to put in there. Money, sex, money, education, status. Paul said, everybody else cares about themselves, but not Timothy. Timothy, he cares about what Jesus Christ cares about. And you say, what is that? People. People. People that are saved. Organizing them into churches that glorify God, that are Pauline churches. You see, he says, I don't have anybody else who thinks like me, thinks like Paul. I don't have anybody else who cares about the people that belong to Jesus Christ and the churches. But Timothy, I can send Timothy, and he'll help to get your church established, and you'll know that it's according to my doctrine. But ye know the proof of him. Now look what he says about Timothy. He said, you, you know this about him. He's, he's proved himself that as a son 
with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Paul had spiritual children. Young men he had led to Christ. We should have spiritual children. We should have young men that we have led to Christ and then help to disciple them, help to raise them up to grow spiritually. Paul had them. Not very many these days have spiritual children. Uh, we, we tend to lead people to Christ and then kind of abandon them. That's like having a baby and just leaving the baby at the hospital. You can't do that. You've got to lead somebody to Christ and then disciple them and help them to grow. And I tell you, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting when you see one of them who gets saved and keeps on coming to Sunday school or to Wednesday night, you know, uh, teen uh, youth meeting, and you watch them grow, and then it's really exciting when you watch one of them who's called to preach, like Timothy, and to watch them develop. But I tell you, it's disappointing. I know something about a young man, and I'm not going to tell you his name, but it's disappointing when you watch a young man and everybody's getting excited. He's, he's allowed to get up and preach for a few minutes, you know. Maybe on Sunday night he gets up and, all right, give him, give him a popcorn sermon. You pop up and you preach, but uh, that popcorn doesn't last. You put that in your mouth and it dissolves real quick, you know, and it's gone before too long, and that's why you need a big bag of it. Amen. But uh, just a popcorn sermon. Just pop up and preach a little bit, but then uh, sit down, you know. Start out fresh, speak up, and stop short. To see him stand up and preach and... And, and to say, man, God's got his hand on that young man. The church gets excited. They want to send him off to Bible college. They're willing to pay for his, his education. And then to watch that man be like Demas, and who's got a heart problem, go off and loving the things of the world. Next thing you know, he's doing everything in the wrong order, getting the cart ahead of the horse. Man, it's disappointing. But when you have somebody like Timothy, now he's a rare bird. He's a jewel in Paul's crown. And he is a man who's like-minded with Paul and he cares about the things that Jesus cares about. And he's serving with Paul and he's proved himself to the church. He's proved himself to Paul and he's serving in the gospel. You see, Paul is saying some things about Timothy and, and uh, he's, Paul's writing a book basically. And listen, God is writing a book about us. God knows and God sees, and God cares, and God's listening, and he's keeping track. And listen, you might not be a Timothy, and I'm not a Timothy, and we're not serving with somebody like Paul, but listen, what you're doing, you're serving Jesus Christ, and it's no less important. You just got something else to do. The Bible says that if any man minister, serve, let him minister according to the ability that God gives. God might have just given me a little bit of an ability, but God says, now use that ability, and you serve with it. And don't try to be somebody else that you're not. But God's watching. You say, what does God want? What does God want to see? God wants to see us faithful in the things that Jesus cares about. Just faithful. He also goes on to talk about Epaphroditus in verse 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus by my brother, there's five things that's said about Epaphroditus that every Christian ought to be. My brother, my companion in labor, so he's a co-worker, a fellow servant, or soldier, excuse me. He's a soldier in the Lord's army. But your messenger, and a messenger, delivering the message, the good news of the gospel, 
And he that ministered, a minister, a servant, he that ministered to my wants. Can I tell you something about that word minister? It had uh, the root meaning of being an under oarsman. You know, uh, Roman boats, they weren't powered by steam or by coal or anything like that. They had oarsmen who were underneath the top deck. So on the top of the deck, on the top of the, the boat or the ship, you had the person who was leading the thing, the captain. They said, here's the direction I want to go. And they'd call out to the man down below who's keeping the cadence and keeping the rhythm of the under oarsman. And Paul said, I'm just an under oarsman. He's saying, Epaphroditus, he's just an under oarsman. He's not up on the top getting all the limelight, getting all the glory. And, and he's, not, he's not just making this thing up as he goes along. He's got his part and he's got to pull along with the rest of us with the same rhythm and do the same thing. And just underneath the deck, just serving, but you're part of the power that makes the gospel ship go. He's, he's a servant, he says, Epaphroditus. And Paul could say about him, the greatest thing, I guess, that you could possibly say about a Christian, that he was a servant. And in this church, as church members, that's really all we are. We're under oarsmen. I'm not up on that top deck. That's Jesus up there. I'm down there with you, pulling along on one of those oars. You know, the Holy Spirit's giving us direction. Just servants. Not trying to be a big flash in the pan, but just to be servants, he says. Paul said this about him, and he says, verse 26, for he, now look at him, he's got a heart. I want to say that he's not only a servant, but he's servant-hearted. For he longed after you all. You understand that? Longed? Like, he, he cared about people. God, God just... Man, God hit me with like a two-by-four right in the face with this thing. I don't, I don't know how to say it any stronger. God just humbled me yesterday. Just put me on my knees and just said, you don't care about people the way that I want you to care about people. And it's all right, folks. We need to humble ourselves. It's all right to admit that. It, it, that's, where, that's where revival starts in your heart is just humbling yourself and saying, God, I, I admit that I don't care about the things that you care about the way that I ought to. I admit that I have this problem with this besetting sin, or I admit that I'm, that I'm selfish, or I admit that my anger is out of control and I, I need to control my spirit. And just, just being humble enough to say, God, I admit it, would you, would you help me with it? And he will, he will. Being humble enough to just know that, you know what, I've gotten cold on God and I'm not loving people the way that I ought to. I'm not feeling heaviness and because people heard that I was sick or I'm not feeling heaviness because I hear about the troubles and the problems that the other folks are going through in the church. My heart's not being moved at the thing anymore. It's kind of getting cold and so I just, you know, I get alone with God and I humble myself and, and, and folks, it works. It works. I heard a good message uh, yesterday by Charles Stanley. Heard some other good messages by some other men. And it just got, got me the help I needed. Heard some good messages over the course of the week. But here's, here's the deal. Here's where the rubber meets the road. you got to get alone with the Lord and say, God, stir my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Give me that, that longing, that, that, that real sincere heartfelt love for your people and for serving. 
in my church and stir up my heart to care about the things that you care about. And listen, if you do that, you spend some time, just take some extra time. Carve it out somewhere in your schedule and just get alone with your Bible, get alone in prayer, and just stay there until God comes and does something for you. And just say, God, would you do something for me? Would you help me? And he will. It's a wonderful thing. There's another word in the King James Bible that I really like. That's sucker is the word. It looks like succor, but it's sucker. And you know what it means? It means that when you need Jesus' help, he will run to your aid. He will sucker you. He will run to assist you to give you what you need to do what he's called you to do. He will come to you. He will, he, he will help you. But look, look what he says about Epaphroditus. He says in verse 27, he was sick unto death just trying to get from Philippi to where Paul was in Rome. He got sick. Maybe he was exposed to rain and the elements. And he almost died, but God had mercy on him, Paul says, and not on him only, but on me also. Paul said it would have broke my heart if he would have died. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when, he, when ye see him again, ye may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Just a, a servant-hearted man. Here's, here's my point. What if someone were to write a biography about your life? What would, what would they say if they were to talk about your service in this church over the last three to five to ten years, maybe just since they've known you, if they were to write a biography about your life, you say, I don't care what somebody else thinks. Well, just humor me. What about that book that God's writing in heaven? What would it be like? Would it sound anything like this? Would it say that you and Paul are like-minded? Me and Paul, we're on the same page. I agree with his doctrine. I agree with his practice. I believe what the Bible says. And I seek to live it out and practice it in my life. Would, would, you, would he say that you are like-minded with, with Paul? You say, yeah, of course. Yeah, but you watch what a lot of people do, and it makes you wonder. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says pray without ceasing. There, we'll start there. That's what Paul said. Listen, I'm guilty as anybody in here. I pray a whole lot more than I ever did before. And uh, I, I sure do. And I'm growing in my prayer life. But listen, we'd, ha we'd all have to admit, if we really believe that, if we really believe that, you know what we do? We spend a lot of our time just thinking about ourselves. We do. Spend a lot of our time just thinking about, where have I gone wrong? <laughs> Is my life supposed to turn out this way? Did I make some bad decisions back here? Did I make a wrong turn somewhere? What would have happened if? What if, you know? What's going on with me? Why am I tired? Why don't I have an appetite like I used to have? Maybe I should exercise more. Maybe I should read another book. Maybe I da 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 Maybe I should start a TikTok account. No, maybe it'll, yeah, nobody's on TikTok. I'll just Facebook. You know, we just, all the time, about ourselves, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> some of the things that really bother me um, are sayings that people have. We, we was talking about one this morning, I don't remember it, but there's one of them that I know they say, be the best version of yourself that you can be. <laughs> That's not what I'm preaching. Be the best. This is what you need to do with yourself. Die daily. <laughs> That's the best you can do. Live your best life now. I don't think so. Your best life is in, is in eternity. 
It's in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. There's something else that we were talking about and something that somebody says. Oh, yes, that, that show This Is Us. So I, wanna, I was trying to figure out what to name this sermon. I, I named it The Story of Your Life. And Beth said, well, if you want to be like the modern people, you could, you could say This Is Us. You know, if I was to write about the modern-day America and, and, and entitle it This Is Us, I'd be writing about people who are superficial, who, who barely, you know, they don't have the spiritual uh, mind that Paul had in his pinky. You know what I'm saying? You say you're judgmental. Well, okay. People are superficial. They were just living on the surface, man. Just living on the surface. It's rare to find somebody, like Paul says, no man that's like-minded like Timothy. It's rare to find people like this. You say, well, I could never be like that. Yes, you can. This is what you are called to be. You are a child of the king. You belong to Jesus. Do you really believe? Listen, you're, you're walking down the road of life and the devil's telling you you're never going to make it, man. You're, you're just, you're just going to be struggling the whole way through and uh, you're just going to be struggling with this sin. You're never going to get victory over that. You're never really going to have a real prayer life. And the problem is, is that you're buying into it. When you ought to, you know, you know what you're supposed to do when the devil starts telling you things like that, starts tempting you, right? You know what you're supposed to do? To do? What did Jesus do? He pulled out the sword. He quoted scripture. Devil starts telling you that stuff. You're just going to be bound. You're never going to get free from this. You're never going to be the victorious Christian that you want to be. You just tell him, uh, well, Jesus told me if the Son therefore shall make you free, you should be free indeed, right? Amen. You just start quoting scripture to him. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Devil just, you know what he does? He just tries to just keep you down, depressed, discouraged, all that kind of stuff. Tell you, 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 you just, you, you started out wrong and you're going to end wrong. And when you start thinking things like that and stuff like that comes into your mind, that's where you start quoting scripture back to him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see. But would your life sound anything like this? Would, it, would, it, would somebody write that you care for others and you've proved it before your church. Your church knows this about you. Would uh, this person explain that you are humble, that you're selfless, that you would sacrifice yourself for the cause of Christ and for the care of his people? Would he give specific examples of this? But you know, there's, there's something greater. There's something greater than what people think about you. It's important. That is important. But God is writing a book. I'm telling you, yesterday I was just turning this over in my mind, and I was just thinking, Lord, you know, here I am. I, I've been feeling weak recently. I'm talking about myself too much in the sermon, but I've already gone too far. So, <laughs> I've been feeling weak and tired recently, and I'm like, is this because I'm 42, or is this because I have cancer? That's what I'm thinking. Am I sick? Is that why all of a sudden I'm tired? And so I started thinking, I read about a young pastor recently who died of cancer. His ministry was cut short. You know what? God didn't make a mistake. God was ready to bring him home. But what if God's ready to bring me home? Man, there's still more I want to do. There's still more I could do by God's grace. We can do nothing without the grace of God. 
that there's still more that I could do. There's more that this church could do. You know, and I start thinking about that. They say young men dream dreams and, and they have visions and old men reminisce. But listen, I know of an old man who wasn't reminiscing too early because this old man started a senior saints ministry after he had retired. He started a senior saints ministry in his late 70s and had a, and had a productive ministry, ministering to a, a group of people in his church. He didn't just quit. He didn't just reminisce. He kept going, doing as much as he could. The way I'm thinking about it is I want to do as much as I can before I hit the judgment seat of Christ because that's what Christ wants us to do. And I started wrong, but I want to finish right, you know, and I can by God's grace. Again, if you read your back pages, do you want the rest of your life to read like that? Because I started really looking back and thinking about how many years I served the Lord and how many years I was backslidden, how many years I wasn't even saved. And I started thinking about that. And I, I want more years. I want to have more years of serving the Lord in my life than, than the other years that the locust ate or the years when I was lost. I want more years of serving the Lord. And I don't want to be a casualty. How do you read your back pages? How's your life going to read one of these days at the judgment seat of Christ? One day we're all going to stand before God. We're all going to give an account. C.T. Studd, he was a famous missionary from China. He went to China. He was from England. And he went also to Africa. He said this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That came from a poem that he wrote. You ought to look it up. That poem, I might read it tonight, but I'm not going to now. Can I tell you this about C.T. Studd? He, he grew up in England. He was a uh, cricket player. He played cricket, and he was famous for it. He was a very athletic man. His, his dad got saved underneath the preaching of Dwight L. Moody. So we're talking mid-1800s. C.T. Studd lived during the second half of the 1800s. And C.T. Studd was just, he grew up in a Christian home. His dad would walk into his bedroom at night and say to, to his boys, boys, do you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you ready to get saved? His dad would make sure that evangelists came into the church and that they were hearing preaching all the time, but C.T. Studd just kept putting it off, putting it off. One day an evangelist actually was walking with him and talking to him about cricket and things like that, and the evangelist put it to him. He said, do you know Jesus? And he just wanted to get him off his back. So he says, yeah, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. No, I know all about it. He says, let me tell you, uh, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? And that stopped him cold in his tracks because he had to say, no. No, I'm not going to go. And so he dealt with him about his soul. He got saved. His brother got saved. Then C.T. Studd was reading the pamphlet that was put out by an atheist about Christians. And the atheist was saying, if I really truly believed what a Christian believes, I would stop at nothing. I would expend all of my energy all of my resources, all of my life to try to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ if I really believed what a Christian believes. And that hit him right there. God used that to touch him and to touch his heart, to prick his conscience. And from the rest of his life, he just decided he was going to burn out for Christ. And so he's quoted as saying, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
And you know, in your life, like I said, people will forget that we ever existed. What we've done will not be remembered. But you know what will last? What you do for Jesus Christ. What you do for Jesus Christ. You say, what's that? God's got a ministry for every one of us. The church ought to be a church filled with ministers. I have this message to the lost before I close. God knows everything that goes on in our lives, even the things that we hide from others. And that can scare us, can't it? Because we think that we've done some things that we know God wouldn't be pleased with. But listen, God hates anything that's wrong in His eyes. Anything that's wrong in His eyes is sin. When we sin, we often feel guilty because we know that we've done something wrong, but sometimes we just go so far and we brush off the guilty conscience like it doesn't matter, and then we go so far as to turn everything upside down and to say that the things that are good are actually bad and that the things that are bad are actually good, and we start to love the things that God hates. God hates sin. He hates what it does to us. He hates what it does to the world that he created. But God doesn't hate us. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In fact, he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God doesn't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. These here that are saved, they don't want you to go to hell. We're here to have a gospel meeting this morning. We're preaching the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? You know that God raised his son from the grave and he's on the right hand of the throne of God and he's here with us now spiritually and ready to receive you in the person of his Holy Spirit. And it's as easy as Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, can it be that easy? Listen, if you've ever called on the name of the Lord and said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and be my Savior, take me to heaven when I die. If you've ever called on him and believed it in your heart, you're saved. You say, is it really that easy? It's that easy. No matter what you did afterwards, if your life for a while was a picture of disobedience, but at some point there was a change, there was a change, but you have a period in your life of disobedience, listen, go back to when you called on the name of the Lord. If you did it, God saved you. If he didn't, he's a liar and his word is not true. It's not complicated. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. All you got to say is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake. And he will. He's not going to make it hard. He's ready to receive you right now. You don't have to clean yourself up. You just come to him just like you are, and he'll forgive you of your sins. That's God's word on it, and it's true. You say, well, I don't know what happened, and I, you know, I, I just don't think I lived like a Christian, and maybe I didn't get saved. All right, well, then get it settled. Just say, today is the day that I'm going to call on the name of the Lord and just say, Lord Jesus, if I'm not already saved, I want to get it settled right now. I want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. And God will. God will save you. But neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And God is able to look on this room and say, that one's saved, that one's saved, that one's not. 
that one's saved, that one's saved, but that one's not saved. And God will render to every man according to his deeds in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Mom and dad might not know about it. Uh, Your teacher might not know about it. Your spouse might not know about it. Your kids might not know about it. But God sees the secrets of men and they will come into judgment. Praise God. If you get it settled now, it'll be under the blood. Under the blood. What a wonderful truth of Scripture. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and just spend some time before the Lord. If you need to be saved right now, if God has pricked your heart and put his finger on you and said, that's for you, you need to trust my son. If you need to do that, all you have to do is just call to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Be merciful to me and receive me. Take me to heaven when I die. You just call on Jesus. Say, Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. I want you to save me. I want to get it settled and know I'm saved. And I'm just going to take you at your word. I'm going to trust you for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Well, I'm calling. I'm calling, Lord. The best way I know how, with a simple childlike faith, I'm calling. And just say to the Lord, Lord, Be merciful to me and save me a sinner for Jesus' sake. He will. He will. God, if you've spoken to somebody's heart and if somebody here today has trusted Christ as Savior, Father, I pray that you'd give them assurance of that. pray that you'd help them to make their decision known, that they would confess Christ openly before our church here. And Father, uh, I pray, I pray for the folks in our church, especially thinking of the children, Lord, that are not yet saved. God, I pray that you'd open up their eyes. I pray that you'd touch their hearts with the love of Jesus, that they'd be saved as an, at an early age and might be able to grow up and become a youth group for this church. Father, that we might start our youth group out of our nursery and out of our children's church. Father, I pray for us that's here, Lord. We want to get something done for you. God, as I look back on on the the back pages of my life, I don't like everything that I see there. I'm thankful that a lot of it's underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. I know there's a lot of time that that I've wasted as a Christian, and I can't do anything about it now, but I pray that looking ahead, Lord, that, that I might be more useful in the future. I pray by your grace that for each one that's here, by your grace that we might be able to serve you for the rest of our lives, to just do what you want us to do, to find a place in the church to serve, to love one another, to care about the things that Jesus cares about. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to be like-minded with Paul. Help us to be strong in prayer. Help us, Lord, help us. We'll be sure to give you all the glory and all the honor, all the praises. We worship you out of hearts of love and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. What's our song this morning? 489. 489 in your songbooks. If you've, if you've asked Jesus to be your Savior today, I want you to come forward as we start to sing this song. I want you to come forward and make your stand with me. Make your stand for Christ and come and 
profess your faith in Jesus Christ openly, if you rededicated your life to Jesus, I want you to come forward and stand with me, and we'll rejoice with you, we'll pray for you at the end of the service, if you've done that today. someone to pray with you. You can come ahead at this time and somebody will be here to pray with you. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning Jesus is wonderful. Let me ask uh, somebody to close us in prayer. Uh, and I want to ask Brother White if you would close us in prayer, sir. Yes, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day, Lord, for 